and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, in whom the new creation, the kingdom of God, begins and never ends. Amen. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? It is like a man who goes out and sows the seed, and it grows, not because of what he did. In fact, he doesn't even know how it grows. But it grows nonetheless by God's business, by God's hand, by God's work in the world. And it comes to us as a gift. We don't understand it, and so we know that we live and walk by faith, and not by sight, as St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. And that's a good thing for us, isn't it? Because if all we had were what we see, well, we would despair. Yes, I do know that every once in a while you see a little bit of the growth, you see a little bit of the goodness in one another, even maybe inside of yourself. But when we look with our eyes and see the world... We can't help but notice the brokenness, the troubledness, the harshness of the world. And so we look at the apparent appearance of things. That's what comes to us. That's what we rely on. That's what we see most of. But we're unable to see the heart of things. And so we clothe ourselves to make us look presentable and right. But we have even phrases that remind us of this all the time, and you guys know them. We say it. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? Of course. I've picked up a lot of pretty books. They're not as good on the inside. Beauty is only skin deep, right? But there's more to somebody inside. We put on our makeup when we comb our hair. We put on our Sunday best, usually to cover up the troubledness and ugliness inside of us. Judge one another not by the color of your skin, but rather the content of your character, right? We know that there's more to everything than we see, and we have to remind ourselves all the time that our eyes have a way of fooling us making us think that things are better than they really are underneath. But of course, we know this, but we don't really have a way of having a communal conversation of really getting at the heart of things. And so I see things one way and you see things another, and we end up in the immortal words of the dude from the Big Lebowski, that's just like your opinion, man. Everyone has a perspective Everyone has a point of view, and they don't agree almost ever. It is our perspectives and our opinions and our points of view that actually bring us into conflict regularly with one another. It is our perspectives and our points of view that threaten to divide us and separate us and move us onto individual islands driving us apart from everyone around us. 
Of course, that's not an attractive option. So usually what we do is share our opinions and find people that have similar ones, not exactly the same. And we try to find coalitions of people who agree with us in order to get our opinion done in the world. We find and join the right side and we work with others who we can compromise with in order to make our voice heard to further our right opinion. But of course, that is the world's end because just as I gather up my right opinions and you gather up yours eventually, we will come into conflict yet again over differing worldviews, fighting for what we think the world is by what we observe and see from our own perspective and viewpoint. And when these worldviews come into conflict and they can't find a way to compromise, we end up fighting, literally. This is what causes wars in the world. Our own perspectives finally become who we are. They're our very life in the world. And to challenge it is to threaten how we live and how we understand ourselves. Well, here's where we enter St. Paul and his relationship with the church in Corinth. And we've been reading for the last couple of weeks, and we will for a number of weeks through the summer be reading his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. And as you read through this, you'll hear all sorts of strange things and confusing things because there is so much conflict going in. So you need a little Bible history lesson because it's not really obvious what's going on in our reading from today. But the conflicts and troubles of the Corinthian church are numerous. They fight with themselves. Who is their real leader? Who is the most spiritual among them? And how are they going to make people more like one of the factions in their church? They're fighting within themselves. They're also fighting with their culture because they're Greeks. Now they've heard this gospel word that says Jesus' death on the cross is your life but they love their wisdom. And so they're in conflict, saying, where is the place of our great learning and wisdom with our newfound faith? And so they're fighting with their culture. And they're also fighting with Paul, who founded the church for them, who brought them this message. They look at him and they think now that he is arrogant, that he doesn't keep his promises because he said he would return and he hasn't. And he keeps asking for money, but they're starting to wonder if he's really going to use that to help the poor. And finally, what we heard a little bit about today is that Paul's not an actual real apostle. There's better apostles out there. And it's into this stew of mixing viewpoints that Paul enters into conversation. He enters back into their life through these letters. He sees them pulling apart one another, pulling apart at every seam, and he enters back in to bring them back to life. Conflict, of course, threatens to separate and divide us all the time. 
And because we are so averse to conflict, we actually say, fine, at some point it's better if you just go away from me because you're pulling at my life too. And so we let people wander off and go their own direction rather than bearing with family, friends, fellow Christians to find a place of reconciliation together. It even happens within yourself, although you can't get away from yourself as easily. But you know when your worldview is being challenged how difficult that is in your mind, in your heart, in your body. You feel it. You're of two minds. You don't know what to do. But when we are, when we are faced with mounting evidence and different perspectives that need to change us and show us something else other than our viewpoint, it causes us pain and pulls apart against our life. But when Paul enters back in for the Corinthians, he's not saying, I'm right, you're wrong, you have to follow me, and he's not fighting for his own viewpoint. Instead, he is reminding them of who they are in Christ. That they have heard this gospel message and that Jesus isn't interested in making his viewpoint theirs. He's not interested in backing up his own worldview. He's not even trying to bring in a biblical perspective or something like this for them to follow. In fact, that's what we've all thought at one point or another. And Paul even says it. We once knew Jesus from this human perspective from this human point of view, knowing him according to the flesh, that his opinion was one amongst many among us. But now we don't know him accordingly that way any longer. For Jesus is not calling us to follow him to make the world a better place, but instead he's making an otherworldly kingdom for us an opportunity that didn't exist in the pull and push, the tug of war in all the perspectives of the world. All worldly viewpoints lead to death. But Jesus now has died to all of them, for he has died one for all. Therefore, Paul tells us, we have all died. All of our viewpoints have come to an end in his death. For at his death, all the wrangling for our own righteousness, all the wrangling for our own self, for our way of the world to be done, all ideologies and individual points of view come to focus on him. For it was in his body that he brought all the contending worldviews, every individual perspective to bear aligned against him. And with all of their pooled collective power, with all of their ideas about how the world should run, they all agreed that we should put him to a humiliating death. It would have been so much easier for Paul just to move on. He had other churches to worry about after all, just to leave the Corinthians alone. But he cannot. He can't, because the love of Christ urges him on. 
because the gospel message has taken root in him and them, and so they have to be united, reminding one another of the new life, the new creation. It is the love of Christ that now controls him, and it makes him hold on to all those who find conflict in themselves, in the world, and in the church. It is because of the gospel, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that he stands there where Jesus stands in the midst of their conflicts, standing in the breach where the division is happening, and putting himself there in the midst of their strife and pain, holding them together, holding on to them to give the new life of Christ. He's bringing them what Jesus has given to us, a new life, not of ourself, but of Christ, beyond our conflicts, a life of confidence in the life of Christ and the promise that he has given to us. And this is the upshot of Jesus' death that Paul can't get away from, that in his death a new creation has begun that anyone who is in Christ, anything that is in Christ is completely new. All the old things have died and gone away. Our perspectives, our hopes, our lives, and our fights have all come to nothing. For where his death and resurrection grabs hold of you, there we can hold on to one another never letting go, clinging and bearing with one another's sin and burden, even though it is hard on us and it would be easier to let go. We reach out and we hold on and we remind people, remind our friends, our families, and ourselves, our very church, that we are a new creature in Christ. For we trust his word more than what we see. We trust his promise more than just what comes to our eyes because there is something more down deep in the heart. It is the faith that he has given us. And we stand and we fight and we remind, not for our own worldview, but that the life of Christ has taken hold of you. For we live by faith, rather than by just what we see in ourselves and in our neighbors. Or as Jesus told us in the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest and most insignificant thing God makes into something great and enormous. And the great things that we see, he makes into nothing so that the kingdom of God would become our all in all by faith. That you, would have life in Christ forever. Amen. Pastor Lars Olson will deliver this morning.